Well, I <clears throat> say a hearty welcome on behalf of my family. I am Pastor Philip Herman from Highland Park Community Church. Um, the Lord's irony is in the fact that uh, 50 years ago, this church left my neighborhood. And it was Highland Park Evangelical Free Church that Westchester had its roots its beginnings 50 years ago. And now our church, Highland Park Community Church, is back in the neighborhood, and we just passed six years of being in the neighborhood back in Highland Park. I want to say a special thank you for all the prayers for our family. Um, most of you would know, but some of you might not that we lost our second son, Matthias, January 5th of 2020, when he took his own life. And we know that the prayers of God's people all over have sustained us. We would not be in ministry. We would not be doing the things that we are doing without the prayers of God's people. So I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for the partnership that you have with our church. We um, cannot do this work alone we knew that going in, and we know that even more now. And so I want to thank you for that. I hope that you grabbed the notes on your way in um, that were back on the table, but we're going to be in Jonah chapter 3 today. Jonah chapter 3. And I want to begin today in verses 1 through 3. So let's read together, or I will read and you can listen. But then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. Let's pause there. So the word of the Lord came to Nineveh. It says here a second time. Now let's go back real quickly to chapter 1 and read the first three verses of chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarsus. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarsus to flee from the Lord. So we believe that the city of Tarsus is in southwest Spain, somewhere on the very far western edge of the Mediterranean Sea. And Nineveh is the Assyrian capital. And so Jonah couldn't have chosen two farther different directions to go from, to run from the Lord. But I wonder if you've ever run away from the Lord. And you know then how difficult it is to humble yourself and go back. But Jonah did. He went back and obeyed the word of the Lord the second time. We'll ponder that a little bit further in a moment. But what is this great city of Nineveh? Well, in chapter 4 of Jonah, it's in verse 11, it says the city has more than 120,000 people in it. Our archaeological digs 
seemed to indicate that the city was eight miles across. However, if you are talking about the greater Nineveh metro area, which seemingly is indicated in Genesis 10, verses 11 and 12, then we could be talking about an area that is wide as 60 miles. Think about Des Moines. The Des Moines metro area. Go all the way out to Waukee. Go as far as the edges of Altoona. And what do you have? 25 miles between those distances. Now, as you see the scripture, and it says that this city, this very important city, took three days to get across, you begin to imagine if you're walking 25 miles or 15 miles, that yes, it could take a while to get across this great city. It's the capital city of your enemy. Nahum, the prophet Nahum, talks more about Nineveh, and we believe that this is talking about years after this occurrence in Jonah. But listen to the list that Nahum says about this city. They plotted evil against God. Their cruelty and plundering in war was known by many. Prostitution and witchcraft was rampant in the city. And their commercial exploitation was known by all. This is the great city. The great city of Nineveh that Jonah is being called to. We come down on Jonah pretty hard, don't we? Running away, hiding in a ship having to get swallowed by a big fish to actually humble himself. But I wonder if you and I are more like Jonah than we would care to admit. These were cross-culturally very different people. They looked different. They thought different. It was out of Jonah's way to get to This was 500 miles away from his home. He had to travel along a merchant trade route 500 miles to get to Nineveh. He had to cross the great Euphrates and Tigris rivers to get to this city. It was not convenient. There was a cost to him. It was an uncomfortable and unfamiliar place that God was sending him and asking him to go to. You mean kind of like Highland Park. The current Madison Elementary demographics, which is three blocks away from our church, are this. It is 44% Hispanic, and 22% white in that building. Both of those numbers are down. The numbers that are increasing is that it is 17% Asian. We've seen this on the ground. We have just seen an explosion of Asian families moving to the neighborhood. 
and it is 14% black. Both of those numbers are up. It is a much more diverse, culturally different place, three miles to the east of here. Three miles, for many of us, might, might as well seem like 500. Because it's an inconvenient place that most of us don't go to. It's uncomfortable and unfamiliar with businesses and homes that look very different than what most of us live around. But remember that we have a partnership that has been approved by you as a congregation twice. And what does that partnership look like? Well, certainly it has the financial partnership of which we are incredibly grateful. We know that we probably wouldn't have made it if we had not had that support come when it came. I was not getting paid regularly. It was sporadic and not dependable. And so your partnership financially is absolutely critical for what we're doing at this point. But more than the financial commitment, we asked your people to pray. We knew we were going in a place where the spiritual forces of darkness had ruled the day and they were not going to relinquish people easily. I'm on my third family that is dealing with meth addiction. I've got families that are so dysfunctional. I've got people that have been trapped in darkness. I have to go this week to a, one of our people's apartments and she wants us to pray over her place because she says that there are people around her that do witchcraft. My friends, if we're not praying, we will not win. But the final thing of our partnership is that we said we need people to come and to come and be alongside of us. We're not talking about all of you leaving this church and coming over to our church. That's not what we're asking. But we have asked, a part of this partnership, is that if every single person in this church would come once to Highland Park every year, some of you will come on a Sunday morning and encourage us and get to know our people. Some of you will join us on Wednesdays. Some of you will come over to our resale shop. I'm praying that I will see every single one of you sometime, one time, during the month of July and the first two weeks of August when we do our summer adventure camp. Lord willing, we'll be at Madison Elementary this year, and Lord willing, we'll have 120 young people from the neighborhood in that camp. We need your help. We need to see you on the ground. We need you to stand shoulder and shoulder with us. So as we think about Jonah, 
Maybe we should give him a little bit more grace. Because maybe he was being asked to do something that was incredibly difficult for him to do. And I ask questions as I read these types of scriptures. And I wonder, God, wasn't there anybody else better than Jonah in Israel? If this was your best God, boy, the rest of them really were good. But just maybe, Jonah was chosen because on the second time, he obeyed the Lord. My friends, how many of us on our third and fourth and fifth time of God asking us to obey him, will we relent and finally obey? Now, next, next week, Chuck is probably going to be a little hard on Jonah, and rightfully so. Jonah did not have the heart of God on some of these things. But my friends, maybe we're a little bit like the Veggie Tales version of Jonah, aren't we? That we just get slapped around by the fish a little bit. And for some of us, we like it too much. And we just get, keep getting slapped, and we never obey. No, on the second time, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. And he went to the great city of Nineveh. Let's keep reading in verse 4. On the first day, Jonah started into the city and he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Let's pause again there. So there were some things here that Jonah had to do, that were Jonah's responsibilities. And there were some things here that were the people's responsibilities, the Ninevites' responsibilities. So look at those with me even deeper. So it says here that Jonah obeyed and went. See, faith is never just about praying. Oh, it starts there. We need to pray and wait on the Lord. But my friends, if you are clear on what God wants you to do, as an instructed you to do, then it is time to get moving. See, obedience always has actions to it. So Jonah obeyed and went. But the second thing that Jonah did was he proclaimed the message of the Lord. 
Not a fun message. What does God say? I will give you the message, Jonah. You just preach what I give you. What's the message? 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. You're going to get popularity over that one. And so here's some quick observations about this. Often the task that God asks of us is huge. But he wants us to do our little part so that he can do the rest. Our part is to move in the direction of obedience. To move in the direction of obedience. Secondly, don't soften or downplay the message of God to try to appease or stay popular with people. I cannot tell you how many churches stopped preaching the full counsel of God and it was the beginning of their downfall because they wanted to stay relevant. They wanted to give people what they wanted to hear. My friends, we were never called to that. We were called to preach the full counsel of the word. And sometimes the counsel of the word cuts and hurts and touches our sore spots because we've hidden from the Lord. We've held on to things that we shouldn't have held on to. No, my friends, we've got to speak the truth, the full truth in people's lives, and we need to do that with love. That's Jonah's failure. Jonah wanted to speak the truth but he wanted to do that so that they might get the judgment. No, we need to speak the truth, the full truth of God in love. Forty more days of Nineveh, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Why such a harsh judgment against the violence and evil ways of these people? Do you understand that taking things into your own hands and forcing somebody to do something your way by force, a violent lifestyle, is the direct opposite of the righteous life God has called us to? My friends, there is injustice all around us every single day. However, that does not give me the right to use violence to force other people to change. Let that never be sanctioned by the people of God. And yes, I'm talking about last year. And yes, I'm talking about this year. It's not a right that we have to do violence to now force change. Why is violence and a violent lifestyle such an affront to God? Because violent ways seek to usurp or take the place of God's work in another person's life. God alone changes hearts, not us. 
Violence always draws God's wrath because it is a direct revolt and rebellion to God and his justice. The Bible declares that the shedding of innocent blood cries out for justice from God himself. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's his prerogative, not ours. It's his justice that we pursue, not ours. And the Ninevites got this. And they responded to God in three ways. One, they believed God. Belief means that I hear the rebuke of another and I have a desire to change. That's what real belief looks like. Two, they humbled themselves. They fasted and cried out for mercy. From the least of the Ninevites to the greatest, the king and his nobles... What does he say? Let everyone call urgently on God. Call urgently on God. My friends, don't we need a little bit more of that? Doesn't there need to be a little bit more urgency in our life that when something's not right, when we know we're adrift, that we now say, God, 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 please step in. Step in in my life. Step in in my neighborhood. Step in in my community, in my state, in my nation. Do something about the wickedness that is around me. The Ninevites humbled themselves before the Lord. But the third and final thing, which is really at the heart of true repentance is that they changed their behavior. The king's words, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. We're going to talk more about that in a second. But you see, my friends, that these people understood that God was serious that the clock was ticking, that there were 40 days to get it right. And if it didn't get right, they were done. That they had provoked the Lord's anger, that they had provoked the Lord's justice, that they had provoked the Lord's vengeance, and that it was coming. And all that they could do was to cry for mercy. Not argue their case not rationalize anymore, not justify the things that they were doing, but to simply say, God, I am wrong. Deliverance. Look at God's response in verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. At the heart of what we're seeing here is God's great love. 
and his great compassion. Did God want to destroy the Ninevites? No. What God wanted was his servant to go tell them that they had to change. Was God's threat real? Absolutely. If they would have thrown Jonah out of the city, if they would have rejected his message, there was destruction coming. But the goal of sending Jonah wasn't to destroy 120,000 people. Now, God has destroyed cities before, and Sodom and Gomorrah is, is a perfect example of that. If you want to continue in your sin, then you will face the consequences of that from a holy and righteous God. But God's goal here is to send his man to declare his message to what? To have people repent. And so Jonah is sent with that purpose. And God's heart rejoices in the response of these people, these wicked and violent and evil people who now said, that's not the way we should live anymore. And the God, our God, who demonstrates his great love and compassion to us, his faithfulness, as we heard from Scripture in the other reading this morning, his faithfulness that is to us every single day. And why did God relent? Because they demonstrated true biblical repentance. What does that look like? I believe the Bible describes three things when we are truly biblically repentant. First and foremost, we have to believe that we've done something wrong. We have to be sorry for what we have done. There has to be an admission that I've done something that offended an almighty God and harmed other people. But the second thing, which is equally as important, is that I truly must have empathy for the other person that I have harmed. I need to understand the depth of the pain that I have caused another. I must understand the offense of what I have done to a holy God. See, it's one thing to say I'm sorry, but it's another thing to now fully understand that the things that I have done have hurt and damaged another person. And if I never get to the second stage, then I'm not really repentant. Because when I understand the pain that I've caused another, when I understand the harm that I've caused another, it hurts me now to understand that. It shames me and pains me to think that that's what I've done to the other person. 
And until those two things happen, I will never get to the final place of what biblical repentance looks like in my life. When I admit that I've done wrong, when I empathize with another person and understand the pain that I've caused in their life, then it causes me to do the third thing, which is it causes me to turn the other direction, to change, to not want to do that again. The Bible's definition of repentance is a turning from going in this direction to turning and going in that direction. I don't want to keep doing that anymore because I now understand what I've done to God and what I've done to someone else. And until all three things happen, I've not truly biblically repented. And my friends, this is at the heart of what it means for God to now celebrate what he has done. When we now come to a place that we now fully biblically repent, just like the Ninevites. They walked through all three of those things. And that's what God loves. When he has shown us his love and compassion, and now we turn and begin to live that out in the lives of other people. There's some final implications I want to walk through with you. First, God getting our attention through crisis or discipline is always meant to draw us back to a proper relationship with him. His deepest desire is not to harm us or to destroy us, but to change us. That's what God wants in our lives. But just like Hebrews 12 says, he disciplines those he loves. God is using that in our lives to get our attention to change our hearts. The second implication is that our prayers matter deeply to God. Our humble and honest prayers are heard and answered immediately in the throne room of heaven. No greater privilege do we have than to come to the Father with Jesus sitting by his side, with the Holy Spirit intervening in moanings and groanings that we can't even understand, and now saying to the Father, Father, would you intervene? Three, we are constantly being called into a deepening growing relationship with a God of great love and great compassion. He made you with a free will that would desire to obey him out of a response of gratitude and love for everything that he's done for you. 
draw close to the Father's heart. There is a tremendous amount of love there. Sit at his feet. Weep before him. Humble yourself. And the God of all mercy, the God of all compassion, the God of all love will welcome us to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may we graciously respond to your offer of love and grace and compassion and mercy. Lord, we desire to know you more. We desire to be a people that are usable in your hands. Lord, allow us to come to a place that truly you don't have to tell us twice. You don't have to tell us three times. Lord, that we would become a people that hear your voice and on the very first time we would obey the Lord. Lord, may that be true in our lives today. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.